Good morning. It is a privilege, though, to preach the word of the Lord this morning. And I'm going to talk about being accepted and seeing yourself through God's eyes. We want to welcome everybody that's joining us online as well. And uh, come into the house of God and hear the word of the Lord this morning. It's very, very important. It's very vital for you to see, see you to see you the way God sees you. Very, very important. Very important that you have the perspective that God has of you, okay? Not necessarily just your perspective. What is God's perspective from his word? And we're talking about a position that we have in Christ because of Jesus, because we're now sons and daughters of God. And no matter what is happening, and I, I, I was thinking about David, uh, he, and he said this when he was older, and he says, you know, I was, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. Why? Because of who you are in him, in him and God's sovereign care and protection that is over your lives. So I ask you the question, what comes in to mess all this up is, so today, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? How do you really see yourself? Now, that obviously excludes the idea of how God sees you. And what comes into play is we see ourselves certain ways. We have an idea of our value. We have an idea of where we stand. We have ideas about those things. They're not necessarily true. Some of them might be, and they may be things that we have to change. But they definitely hinder and can hinder our understanding of God's view and how God sees us. How do you see yourself? What thoughts have you had about yourself today? I wonder if anything came to mind. If you are tempted into the avenue of self-deprecation, that falls in this category, putting yourself down demeaning yourself, devaluing yourself. Those things come out of experiences. Jesus, my Savior, your Savior is here to heal you from the pain of what has been caused you by people that has messed up that perspective. But that's not God's perspective of you. You see, receiving God's Acceptance by faith places you into a position of assurance. And being accepted is the very opposite of being rejected. Jesus was rejected so you could be accepted. God talks about how in his word, he says in Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. He graces us with acceptance, not based on our merit, but by grace. It's unearned, unmerited favor of God. So your assurance of his acceptance of this grace in your life is actually vital. It says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 to, 4 to 8, and it says, as you come to him, the living stone, talking about Jesus here, rejected by humans, you know the story. Rejected by humans. He came to those who were owned. His own did not recognize him. They rejected him. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Notice the transition. You also, 
Okay? Watch this. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen precious cornerstone, talking about Jesus. And the one who trusts in him, you, confess the name of Jesus, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I think you should meditate on that. Never be put to shame. Everybody say, never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Now to you who believe in this Jesus, this Jesus is your precious cornerstone. Precious. But to those who do not believe, the contrast, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which also what they were destined for. God in his foreknowledge and his understanding knows, knows of those that will even reject him. Your, your destiny of faith, those that believe in him. Though Jesus rejected, you said yes. He's precious, chosen by God to save you. So now you are like the living stones, as that scripture says. Chunk off the old rock, on the rock. Jesus built into him. Cornerstones are the, are the part that holds the building up. And you are living stones built into that building. A spiritual house, okay? A holy priesthood. And then, therefore, also offering through Jesus whatever you offered him out of what he's in. Because everything you have is his in the first place. How he made you, how you're formed, your gifts and abilities, your talents, your time, your tithe, your money, all that stuff. Offering. It's a priestly offering from your lives. That's an, through Jesus, that's an acceptable offering. See, you're made acceptable through Jesus. Made acceptable. I want you to put your name in the scripture here. I'm going to finish what I started last week, and I was talking about some of the hindrances, some of the things that get in the way of our perspective, and erode, actually corrode away like rust, gradually, slowly, like, like water and salt, eating away underneath the bottom of your car at the metal and stuff, slowly but gradually, not right away over time, that eventually all of a sudden there's some holes in your faith because things corrode it. And so we want to actually nip those things in the bud. We want to recognize those things that they don't corrode us. They don't cause a downfall in our lives and cause a backsliding, a slipping back into our old ways. You're a new creature in quiet. Christ, all things are passed away. All things become brand new. You don't want to go and do the things you used to do in the life you once lived. Okay? That's why there's some very key things that are very powerful that if we don't recognize them, they will actually take away. So I want, to, I want you to put your name in the scripture. You're chosen. You're chosen. In Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 6, uh, and we're going to put it up 
here, and this is going to sound awesome because you're going to put your name in here. I'll read the first line. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed Mitch with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So see how it works? Okay, so where you see us, 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 us. All right, you put your name in it. Read it out loud with me. Let's read it out loud. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed Mitch with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose Mitch in him before the foundation of the world, that Mitch would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined to be adopted as a son or a daughter through Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory and of grace, which he favored in the beloved. You're accepted in the beloved. This is your destiny. You are chosen. You are blessed. Jesus was rejected for your acceptance. God has chosen you and has poured out spiritual blessing on your lives. You need to read the word of the Lord with your name in it. Expose the hindrances, the lies, the untruths. Walk in, this, in these things that are an assurance to your faith not the things it erodes. So we talked about several things. And we said, listen, it, if it erodes your assurance of faith, it erodes your eternal security, potentially, of your own perspective and maybe absolutely. And it literally threatens a downfall in your life. You know this has happened to people. You know this has happened to people. You know it's been a gradual process of slipping away. So we said things like, First one we mentioned was doubt and unbelief. I'm not going to re-preach these. The number two was not having a forgiving spirit. That's big. All these are big. Number three, spiritual laziness. And number four, if you're visiting with us and you didn't get this last week, was grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Grieving the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And there's things that grieve him. You can't keep grieving him, the counselor, the comforter, the teacher who lives within you who bears witness to the word of God that you're reading is saying this is truth and you're going, no, well, I'm not going to do that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by overtly, intentionally disobeying the word of the Lord. Lost hair. And then we ended on permitting, permitting Satan to rob you. Permitting. In other words, you allowing him to take away something that is yours, just like the assurance of faith. Don't let him take that away. You see, Satan speaks condemnation and rejection and you continually and shaming you, shaming you for your sin. There's nobody here that's without sin. And you will sin, you will yet sin. Jesus saved, continues to save, and will yet save you, but it's through you turning from sin and repenting and asking God for forgiveness, okay? And so the devil comes along and beats you up and says, well, you're not worthy of God's forgiveness because look what you did. Yes, so then you're learning about living, walking in the Spirit, so you don't gratify all the desires of the sin nature and defeat, overcome, overcome the carnal nature and walk in faith, okay? But that is a walk that you're in. It is called the good fight of faith that you and I committed to. So Satan comes along eroding your perspective on how God sees you. See, he, he wants you to see... This is what Satan wants you to see, and he's a liar. 
He's a robber and he's a thief. He only comes to take away, to rob, steal, and destroy. He wants you to see that when you do something in disobedience to God, if you sin, he wants you to devalue yourself, especially as far as God's value of you is. And yet Jesus died for you, for your sin, to provide a remission, a forgiveness, and a, for, and a washing of sin and sinfulness, and to live by the Spirit of God, under the, by the power of God. He wants you to believe God's value of you is lessened. You're not worth as much. This is so common today. You and I go through this. Talks about in Romans chapter 8. You're familiar with it. It says, therefore, there is now, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan is a condemner. He only comes to condemn you and use against you. Now, now he's going to hold you in condemnation if you don't repent and you live under that guilty conscience and stay there. You will be living in shame. You will be living in rejection. And you will be believing. That's why you need to repent. God's merciful. God loves it when we repent. God loves it when we turn to him and ask him to forgive us. He, he responds when we draw near. When we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So there is now, therefore, it's, he, he, notice this is how, this is a position See how God sees you. You, there's no condemnation for you because you're in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's been broken off your life. Now you live by the Spirit. You see, Satan condemns, but Jesus says, you know that, you know John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that the whosoever believeth in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. Do you know what verse 17 says? For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, Father God's acceptance of you by faith annihilates demonic condemnation. Jesus offers life to a nation. Condemnation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people chosen by God. That you should show forth the goodness of God and shine that light into darkness. And Satan comes along to condemn a nation of believers. Not just one, but all. This is something that's common, a temptation to shame yourself, demean yourself, have your perspective and your position robbed from you because he wants to condemn a nation who named the name of Jesus, God's kids. We're his kids. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not, this nation of God is not under condemnation, but it's under the life, the saving blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification of life for all people. Adam sinned. We all inherited a sin nature. Jesus died once and for all, for all, for all those who would place faith in him and receive his provision for sin, are forgiven, are no longer under condemnation, but are brought into the holy nation. You're a holy nation, folks. A royal priesthood. That's who you are. 
That's who you are. Don't let Satan rob you of your position of acceptance in Christ. Don't permit it. He can't take it unless you permit it. Do you realize that? Actually, hands off. He actually doesn't have the power to remove that from you. Only if you allow him and permit him. By starting out by believing the lie. Like I said, it's the gradual process. That was number five. Number six is equally important in its harmful companions. Harmful companions. If you're young here, really young, and or old, listen carefully. Listen carefully. Proverbs 14, verse 4 says this. Don't do as the wicked do, and don't follow the path of evildoers. Do you know it's really actually quite easy if you spend a lot of time with people who have who reject God and reject his ways, it's really easy for their ways to rub off on you. When they say, hey, come with me, let's go do this, you go, ha, ah, little peer pressure here. Uh, okay, that sounds all right, but what else are you going to do when you get there? Because something in my, my grid of maybe philosophy Maybe the fact that you were raised in a Christian home doesn't line up. It's like, ah, uh, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. That doesn't sound so good. I don't think I'm going to go smoke a little pot in the back shed right now. Thank you. Have another drink. Have a few. You say, oh, you're just going to mention that. No, come with me. Let's just cuddle for a while you're human harmful companions offer a zillion ideas of things to do that are actually contrary to god and the more you if you hang out with people as the bible says it says bad company corrupts good character bad company it's really easy to fall into bad company because we need to be discerning of people uh, I realize that God has made us as the influencers, not the ones influenced by evil. But that's why we need to build ourselves up and make us strong in ourselves, strong in faith. And we need to be a little bit kind of like fruit testers and check it out to make sure and talk because we love people. We hang out with people. We're not here to reject people. We're here to embrace and love people. So you may say, well, that sounds quite contrary to Scripture. What do you mean? Well, come on. We need to watch these things and move into the place of actually saying, no, actually, I don't do that. And, and develop something that's called a boundary. A boundary, like a border, no crossing. We choose not to cross. But we say, hey, come on over to my side of the border. It's a lot better over here. Now, we don't boast like that. But we say, hey, come on over to my house. Come on over with me, with my friends. I don't want to do that. I don't think so. Depending on your courage and boldness, you're going to say more, you're going to say less, but what you really need to be is discerning. Yes, it's true, everybody needs God, but the problem is, 
if we fall in with the wrong crowd, we are going to follow along the wrong crowd and we'll fall for anything. And this comes from ideas. This comes from false doctrines. This comes from philosophies of man that seem like, oh, that seems palatable. That seems okay. After all, I'm kind of looking for a solution here anyways. But guess what? It'll eat you alive because it's contrary to God's word. But it'll water it down enough because it seems good that you'll believe it and you'll try and go, oh, wow, that behavioral modification and that yoga, that's really working for me. That's great. But it's a gateway drug. These things, these lies are gateway drugs to more stuff. I don't know if I can warn you any stronger about that, about how these things fall in. Don't allow your gradual demise by allowing yourself to be influenced by evil people's unacceptable ideas. And you live, whether you believe this or not, in a post-Christian culture. And so all the ideas and all these things that are coming despise God's ways and his, his perfect will. But at the end of the day, why do I say all this? Because you are in control. You are responsible for what you accept. And that's why I suggest boundaries. Because harmful companions are harmful to your future. It doesn't fit in your Christian worldview. So help them see yours. Okay? Bring them onto your turf. Be the light. Don't be Samson with your head laying in Delilah's lap, proverbially. If you follow my thought there, if you know the story. Number seven, are you okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, I know, that's a word picture. Number seven, loving the world. Loving the world, loving the world. I love living in the world. I love so many things about the world. I love nature. I worship the God who made it. If I love nature so much, that's all I'll ever do. It's just be in nature, me in nature, you know, it's where I hear God. I'm not mocking that, by the way. I get the peacefulness of it. But, you know, quiet and stillness and nature, there needs to be a foundation in the Word of God where we worship Him and not what He creates. That's pretty common in the world today. Nations all over the world, they worship things God made. They worship the sun and the moon, the stars and the universe and fire, water, all these things, right? Stone, all these incredible enduring things that God put into motion. It says in 1 John 2, verse 15 to 17, it says, it says, do not love the world. Should be straightforward, right? Or the things in the world. Now it's talking about love, loving it, like loving it. Being in love with the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I read that fast, but that's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires those things are passing away but whoever does the will of god abides forever we don't want a a a, a love for the world the living according to just desires of our 
flesh, we just do whatever feels good, or whatever looks good is license for me to see, or the pride of life, I'm right and what I know is true and no one can tell me otherwise, idea. All these things, desires are going to pass away and they're passing away. So love God. Don't love the things of the world. Whoever loves, whoever does this, the will of God, it is, it, it, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. So I, in, in John, was it John 14, 15? It, abide in me and and remain in me. Do the remaining, the remaining in me. Love me, love God. James goes even more serious on the subject. Uh, if it doesn't get any more serious, it says in James 4, 4 to 6, it says, it says actually, if you do that, it says you're adulterous. It says you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity? Enmity is an interesting word. It means hostility, animosity, antagonism, and against God. Against God. Friendship of the world means, means uh, enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That's why the Scripture says, okay, you have to go. He gives us more grace because he loves us jealously, jealously that much. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Be humble. <laughs> Choose humility. There's only a few acceptable love affairs out there, okay? And if you're married, it's with your spouse, okay? And the other one would be with your family, and certainly the primary one is with God. And you say, and, and not in that category, but love your neighbors, love yourself. Don't I mean have a love affair with your neighbor, but with loving people as the way God loves them, Oh, there's only few. So loving and worshiping worldly things hinders or robs you of your assurance of faith. Because what happens is you place your security, listen to this, you place your security on something else and your security will be misplaced, in other words, on something that actually does not have the ability to save you. Doesn't have the ability to save you. And people can't save you. That's why I love God first with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength misplaced misplaced those things that you really really love you cherish with a lot of security okay kind of like the idea of the love of money there's an idea in the in in the world the love of money bible says is the root of all kinds of evil love of money it's a root the bible says you can't serve two masters you're going to love one you're going to hate the other okay David said of, of wealth, he says, if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. It's okay to have wealth and make wealth. God says, I have given you the ability to make wealth. He has. Glorify God in it. It's not that anything's evil with it, but the love of it is. The love of it is the root of all kinds of crazy evil things that can stir up problems for you and especially erode your faith and, and diminish what you know to be true to the point of where you believe it and justify it. When you love the world, you will worship and invest your time, your talent, your money in it. And they're not e those are not eternal things. That's why money is a great heart test. Where your treasure is, okay? 
There your heart will be also. Don't love the world. It's risky. It's risky. And this is for you to discern from the word of God and from the word of truth. Because if you keep loving those things, it slowly but surely begins to erode at the very foundation that your life is established on in Christ. Number eight is walking by sight and feelings instead of faith. It's very easy to walk by just what we see naturally. It's very easy to walk by feelings. I feel this way, therefore I'll do that. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5 or 7, and it basically commands us, for we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, when we walk in the natural, by natural sight and emotions, we are excluding God, period. We're excluding God. We're excluding him. We're not involving him. Okay, we're relying on things visible and temporal. But we need a savior to save us. So natural faith is no faith at all. And if you exercise faith in the natural realm, you have no faith in the spiritual realm. That's why God justifiably accepts us by faith, our faith in him. Nothing else works. And he invites us. He invites us. In, in Hebrews eleven six. without faith, he says it's impossible to please him. Without faith, which is a supernatural seeing, we see God, know God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Yes, he's our great reward. A depth of relationship, a greater insight into that which is seen through spiritual eyes, not by natural eyes. But be careful, because what happens is that we gain understanding, and then when we gain understanding, it's so easy for arrogance to creep in, and sometimes we falsely characterize Christianity or Christian maturity as knowledge. Christian maturity is knowledge. Knowledge doesn't equal maturity. The idea that the more you know, the more mature you are. No. God said to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you bunch of, you whitewashed tombs. They knew a lot, but they did not know the freedom of God's word that set them free through salvation. They were big on themselves. And it's a test. Scripture suggests that it's, Paul points out, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So we need to test these things living by natural sight and knowledge instead of the word of god is not faith and it's a dangerous and it's a very gradual segue to hell and it comes very naturally to live naturally instead of spiritually so then live on your own strength the, live on your own strength purity on your own strength and ability to accomplish what needs to be done and exclude god that's not what you signed up for. That's not why you need, you need a savior. You need a savior. Number nine is disobedience to the word of God. It says in Hebrews 5, verse 8 to 9, it says, talking about Jesus, it says, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He became the source, okay? So he learned obedience from what he suffered and trust me there's no shortage of suffering and tests and sufferings 
uh, with regards to our opportunities to obey. I thought of the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the beginning of the book of Acts. And uh, one would say, well, what did they suffer? Well, they saw in the story uh, everybody bringing and giving and selling properties and laying them down at the feet of the apostles to give to the work of the ministry and that everybody would be cared for. And they sold their land and they brought some and they were asked, did you bring it all? And they said, here it all, but they didn't. And they dropped dead. And um, the temptation there, okay, in obedience was very real to them. And they lied. They lied to the Holy Spirit. So disobedience, it's a picture. It really shook the church up. You can imagine. That shook. I mean, it shook the church up. It reflects the character of God and the importance of this. We just don't lie to the Holy Spirit. We don't knowingly sin. I know that sin and knowingly go into that like a, you know, like a bull with a, a ring in its nose and a chain hooked to it. And, and I allow my desires, your desires, to drag you into that place. Like, oh, I don't have any choice here. Yes, you have a will and a choice. 100%. So disobedience isn't acceptable. You're accepted, but disobedience isn't acceptable. It's like saying, oh, so you mean lightning is going to come from heaven and zap me, turn me into crispy critters immediately. No, no, no. I'm talking about the backslide. I'm talking about the erosion. I'm talking about don't do it if you know it. And if you get to hear it, don't harden your hearts, but obey. That's the grace and mercy of God. We get to change things. Don't be fooled. Acceptance is not permission to sin. 1 Timothy 1 verse 19. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. They've suffered shipwreck because they've rejected faith and a good conscience. That just happened overnight? Not necessarily. Okay? This word rejected here, it's a nautical term. It means throw overboard. So in your life, and you go through something and, and you sin and to, you become desensitized to sin if you keep sinning, you, you throw overboard your faith. You throw overboard the conscience that is speaking to you very lovingly, very kindly, the conscience of God that you have by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that's saying, no. You throw overboard you throw overboard. And that's why he's speaking in terms of word picture of shipwrecked. Okay? Shipwrecked is shipwrecked. That, that's, that's left abandoned. That's, I sailed onto the rocks. I didn't navigate. I, 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 I went left when I should have went right. And I, I'm on the reef. I'm getting smashed to pieces here. I'm falling apart. I cannot fulfill my destiny I'm all broken to pieces. It's not happening. Unfortunately, in my 40 years as a Christian, I have seen this time and time again. The good news is, I've seen some people come back after they've shipwrecked their faith and they've thrown faith and conscience over. I've seen them come back and repent and and I see restoration. I've seen some of those even go back again. Help me, Lord Jesus. 
not to be that person. Help me and let me help them if I can and pray for them. In verse 20, that's verse 19. It's interesting that in verse 20 that then he refers to a couple of characters. He refers to Hymenus and Alexander. These guys, they veered off into false doctrine. They were proponents of an idea called antinomianism. In other words, believing that Christian morality was not required. Boy, as if that hasn't been energized today in the world around us. We used to call it a greasy grace. That's all right. I have, I have freedom. I have control. Yeah. Okay, sure. All right. That's fine, if that's what you think. It's basically the idea, be a sensualist. 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 Be one of those. Give way to freedom to indulgence and appetites. Just free wheel. Take it out of gear, roll down the hill, just let that all go. That's what it's about. Those who accept false teachings and ignore their conscience, that's what these guys did, will suffer spiritual damage like the ship that hits the rocks and is broken up. That's why we're to, especially when it comes to prophecy, test everything and hold on to what's good. Don't despise it, okay? But there are, is such a thing as false prophecy and such a thing as false doctrine, and we need to test everything and hold on to what's good. You see? So right behavior, talking about obedience to the word, right behavior is linked to a good conscience. It's really good to have your conscience free of offense toward God and toward people. Such a slippery slope. Free from. Free from. Free from it. Okay? The part that I love about all this is that you and I can change our narrative today. Trish, why don't you and the band come up here as I wrap up. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. I want to admonish you today in the Lord that you can possess an absolute, full assurance of faith for salvation. It's exciting. Yeah, you can't go back to the beginning, but you can start where you are today and change the ending. Hebrews 10, 22 says to you, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled to clean, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's an invitation to you today. Let us hold fast. If we don't do that, we're not likely to do these next ones. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, not being blown and tossed all over the place. For he who promised is faithful. Is that true? Is that true, congregation? Is that true? Yes, it's true. And let us consider how we, how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Let's do that. 
That's an assignment, isn't it? Let's not be neglectful of meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching near. Yeah, uh-huh. Seems closer than it's ever been. Let's not give up meeting together. If for you that means to have fellowship in your home or in another place with fellow believers, don't allow all that's being propagated today to separate you from fellowship. Create fellowship. Create gathering together. Create it. Make it happen. Good company builds good character. Faithful people, full of faith, helps your faith be full and strong. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, it says there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of God. God did accept you before you accepted him. But your accepting of him requires something from you. Called obedience. Heart that's teachable. A humble attitude that's submitted to God and submitted to others. He said, I didn't, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. That's what he said. I chose you. You didn't choose me. In my love, I chose you. I'm calling you into a close, intimate, obedient, day-to-day, interactive, beautiful, I'm great God relationship with me in heaven, he's saying. So Adam walked, Eve talked. No, Adam and Eve talked. Sounded like the woman was doing all the talking. Uh, I didn't say that. Um, They walked in the coolness of the garden together. Like, so there was the perfect. What a beautiful picture of what he is restoring and is restoring to us through Jesus. If you have any question about whether you have value or if God chose you or if that God sees you. David said it this way from Psalm 139. He says, God, you created my inmost being. Mitch, here's your name is in the scripture. Mitch, I saw you created. I created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. I praise you, Lord, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes, Lord, saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me. Here's the choosing of God. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast are the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, I'm still with you. You see, you were made for a purpose. God chose you. You were made so thoughtfully 
by God and you're made, you're loved and then made perfect in Christ so that you don't lack anything. This is why he says, if you hear my voice today, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Nothing at all creation is hidden from God. Nothing at all. Everything is laid bare from his sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes. To him who must give account. And we give account to God. God is he's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to purity. He's calling you to sincerely be humble before him. Man sees the outside. Man sees the outside. But God, God in heaven, he looks at the heart. Don't harden your hearts. He looks at the heart. Don't let anything begin to cause it to get crusty and dry and rusty and full of holes. Not your view of yourself that is contrary to God's, not shame, not sin, not, not disobedience, none of these things, not the devil, but obedience to him in Jesus' name. Amen.